Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions about her story. She called and wanted to come to our table. Um, and we all had very different feelings about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I fought it to, to the nail. I just found it really ironic that um, she chose three black women mm -hmm. to reach out to for her redemption Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. How are we doing? I have not updated you guys. There have been a few key pieces of information regarding Hillsong, former Hillsong pastor, Carl Lentz. Bangers, y'all. Let's talk about it. So, last I left you, we had an expose from one... Ranin Kareem, the Brooklyn fashion designer who had admitted to having a months-long affair with Carl. So, since then, we have learned that a couple weeks ago, there was a leaked recording that came out from Brian Houston. Recorded in, uh, information from Brian Houston. So, he is the founder of Hillsong. He's an Australian guy. Um, and yeah, these tapes came out and it listed more of the reason of why Carl was left or, um, why, oh my God, you guys, <laughs> I had a mini heart attack. So I'm going through the page six.com and there was a very misleading headline about Jeff Bridges passing away. 
It was really about him dying at birth, but I almost had a heart attack. I, okay, okay, whew, call me Russ. We're back. So this leaked audio recording be, happened, it was a meeting of church executives and top donors to Hillsong. This happened around November 19th. Um, that was post Carl admitting that he had had that singular affair and, you know, there were, um, I can't remember what the term that they use, you know, like moral failures, ethical failures that Carl had engaged with. So in the leaked audio, we find out, of course, of course, Ran and Kareem was not the only person that Carl was getting it in with. He had had more than one affair. So Brian says, a staff member found a very compromising chain of text messages on Carl's laptop. We drove right across town to talk to Carl and confront him. And that was the beginning of the process we are at now. When we talk about an affair, these issues were more than one affair and they were significant. And at least some bad moral behavior had gone back historically, but not necessarily those affairs. So basically he's saying that Carl's a shitty person and the affairs gave them more of a reason <laughs> to oust him from Hillsong. So he says, if it was just about a moral failure, perhaps it would have been possible to work our way through it and have a period of restoration. But the nature of where my relationship was with Carl already, and then to add the significant nature of the moral issues meant that I believed and our global board believed that the only option was to terminate Carl. Houston said that there have been problems with Carl before the affair revelations. Houston says he was a difficult man to have any kind of direct conversation with because it was always defensive. It would always be put back on the other person as though they were the ones with the problem. Classic definition of gaslighting. So then he goes on to say they were not easy meetings that I had, um, they were not easy meetings, and I had already at that point at the end of summer that I felt like Carl and Laura's time in New York was coming to an end. Not general narcissistic behavior, manipulating, excuse me, not just general narcissistic behavior, manipulating, mistreating people. I think sometimes other hurtful things, the breaches of trust connected to lying, constantly lying, basically broken trust. So they also later reveal in the tapes that they were working on a severance package that Carl had not agreed with. They were working on negotiations for that. So that is bit of information number one. So this leads into a little bit more of a like celebrity angle to it. So prior to all of this information coming out, the Lenses put their, so they live in, they, okay. They were pastors of the Hillsong in New York. I believe the one at Times Square. They lived in Montclair, New Jersey. Before all these allegations came out and the big news came out, they sold their home in Montclair with the plans to move to LA Um you know, for insert information here. So it comes to find out that they moved to LA by on the hands and by the pocketbook of one Tyler effing Perry. (laughs) 
So allegedly, Tyler has been friends with Carl and his wife for years. He got them, I believe it was either fifteen or $18,000 a month um, rental in Manhattan Beach neighborhood of Los Angeles. And he had paid up front for, I think, six months. And he was really helping them, like, get up on their feet and establish themselves in L.A. Because Tyler, like, really believes in Carl and his rehabilitation. So Tyler put up almost $100,000 on this 500, uh, 5,000 square foot, five bedroom home valued at about $4 million. Um, allegedly Tyler Perry has also been a shoulder to cry on for Lentz, who's been leaning on Perry since his dramatic fall from grace. Another source told the paper page six that they've been consistently talking with each other. Okay. I guess they've also worked with each other. Uh, okay. Tyler Perry puts up a lot of money for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't think that Carl Lentz needs to be one of them. But this leads us to update number three, in which it says ex-Hillsong pastor Carl Lentz seeks treatment for depression and burnout. So the former leader of the trendy Hillsong Church in NYC is seeking treatment at an outpatient facility that specializes in depression, anxiety, and wait for it, pastoral burnout. So when I'm thinking of the term, the phrase pastoral burnout, I would think, I'm thinking from my church, used to go to church brain, right? And I would think that you would be potentially dealing with how overwhelming it is to be in a position of power, to be the go-to person for this, you know, particular sect of people. These people view you as sort of like a, you know, in-between, somebody who's getting a message directly from God and is supposed to share it to the masses. And that sounds like a lot of fucking pressure right? It sounds like a lot of pressure to put on somebody. It sounds like exhausting, frankly. So my second question is, how many outpatient treatment facilities or inpatient, any patient treatment facilities have people that can specialize in pastoral burnout? Because there's one thing of like my assumption of what a pastoral burnout is and what we're seeing from Carl, which is like his inability to keep his dick in his pants. I don't really know if that qualifies as pastoral burnout. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like maybe I should be looking up Miriam Webster's definition of what that means, but it's not adding up for me. It's not adding up for me. Let's move on to... Another um, uh, person of the cloth who has had a dramatic couple of months, to say the least. One, Mary Cosby of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Mary, for me, is like one of the... My feelings about Mary are kind of like my feelings about like every man that I've ever dated is just like really inconsistent. It changes from day to day. One day I really understand them. And the next day I'm like, what just happened? 
what just happened. So last week, Jen outed Mary for saying that if she had gone to a 7-Eleven and she saw black people outside of that 7-Eleven, that she would no longer go into that establishment. So somebody on Instagram messaged her and said, Mary, did you say the 7-Eleven comment that Jen mentioned? And so Mary responded, and I'm just going to read this as I see it. Punctuation be damned. Okay. So at Mary underscore M underscore Cosby writes, now I never said that to Jen. She's lies. You will see. She adds on the, on the, she has no rollback tape, no text. Let me try that one more time. No, I never said that to Jen. She's lies. You will see. She adds on the she has no rollback tape or text. Okay. Just threw, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, just threw me out there with that trash. And yes, Jen was lying, exclamation point. I never said that to her. I never been to her house in my life, exclamation point, except NYC, dot, dot. She wanted to be something she has lost, what, her platform or her point in life? Is she showing the world lies? Period. I think that's supposed to be a question mark, though. I said not to her, but this was off camera, not even a cast yet. It was late. We was together in NYC. There was a a convent store. I didn't go in. First, I didn't need anything, and I felt it was dangers! Exclamation point. (laughs) Dangers. She takes that and says, 7-Eleven, there are no black men in Utah, so 7-Eleven? The black man, she just added that in there. I promise you if I can be truthful about... I'm tr- I promise you if I can be truthful about who Mary is. I'm showing everyone why I don't know. It just felt like my grandmother. Story deserves to be told. Exclamation point. I would tell you honest, period. I did not say that, period. If you notice when somebody... If you notice when someone makes a comment that strong... Strong's with a capital S, they with a capital T will roll with a capital R of roll. Let me read this back again. (laughs) If you notice that when somebody makes a comment that strong, they will roll the tape back of me telling her. They never once did. Two exclamation points. Because it's a lie. Period. Please know better. You can feel me. I'm being real. Space. Two exclamation points. Thank you for asking me. Exclamation point. That was very kind. No, Jen's trying to shoot at me. I wish she would go somewhere and leave me alone. I really do. LOL. Exclamation point. Sending love. Red heart emoji. M. Pink flower emoji. Now I understand that you guys are probably going to have to listen to that clip over and over again. Maybe even several times. And honestly, it might be better that you just find the transcript of it. The actual comment. The screenshot. Um, What I'm taking from this is that Mary says that she did not actually make that comment about 7-Eleven. She claims that Jen was lying, but she starts by her first piece of evidence that Jen is lying is that there was no receipts. No, this wasn't on camera. This wasn't over text where you can see screenshots, you know, no roll that beautiful bean footage happening here. So, before they were even a cast, they were in NYC. Maybe for BravoCon, hard to say. 
She, Jen wanted to go somewhere. Mary didn't want to go in. First of all, she's saying the real reason why she didn't go in is because she didn't need anything. But also she felt like it might be dangerous. And so the Jen added all of this story and said... 7-Eleven? She added in the 7-Eleven thing. I'm not really sure what Mary's trying to say when she says, she takes that and says 7-Eleven, there are no black men in Utah, so 7-Eleven? The black man, she just added that in there. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, the point, if she's trying to make the point of like, if I had said that, there would have been more footage or any footage, but you're also saying that they, you guys weren't even a cast when this happened. So why would there be cameras up? Why would they? So, um, I think it's so funny that Mary seems to be under the impression that Jen is coming for her, that she's trying to take some sort of crown that Mary has. Um, it's just very funny to me. Very funny. Um, I want to end the episode by saying, or not the episode, but the intro part of this episode by saying R.I.P. to Jiggy. One gigolo Vanderpump Todd. We knew you. We loved you. Many of us thought that you were maybe battery operated or there was some sort of like, um, you know, circle of life situation that maybe you were attached to Ken And that you guys were just surviving off like a single source of energy. I've heard people say that. You know, was that person me? Yeah, but like I've heard it being said. I'm just saying that there were a lot of theories about, um, you know, whether or not you were actually alive. But to find out that you have passed in 2020, it almost feels poetic. You know, we love you, Jiggy. We love you, Lisa. And shout out to you, Harrison, because you're, you know, you're, you're the next, you're the next one. Not, (laughs) not to die. And then it like, you're the next one in like a, like an American horror story. Like the new Supreme has arrived. I, I meant it like that. I wish you a long and healthy life, Harrison. Anyway, you guys, um, what you're going to be hearing next is a recap of The Bachelorette. And after that, I had the incredible opportunity to do an interview with Olivia of Married at First Sight, New Orleans. Yes, the one that was unfortunately, tragically paired with that disgusting man, Brett. So listen to that. Check it out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. You can hear me on other podcasts. I keep forgetting to mention it, but you can hear me. I um, was on a podcast called Did I Make That Up? with Justine, and we recapped the season one finale of Jersey Shore. You can hear me on the Buy Pumpkin Patreon. A couple weeks ago, Princess and I talked about the Braxtons and Braxton Family Values. You can hear me on the latest episode of What Else is Going On with Taria. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about Potomac. We talked about Atlanta. Everything in between. So I hope you guys enjoy those. Check them out. Let's get on with the episode. Love you. Bye. Y'all, last week 
we found out that there was some healing that needed to be done. And so none other than Olivia Jade Januli, daughter of Massimo Januli, and one Lori, Aunt Becky Laughlin, decided to come to the Red Table. I'm here to talk about all of the highlights that happened from there. I thought it was very compelling for several reasons, starting out with the beginning. So I have not seen a traditional red talk, red table talk before. I have only seen, this is my third one. So I've never seen one with all of the women, Willow, Jada, and Gammy slash Adrian, Jada's mom. So... I don't know if they do these like intro pre-interview intro where they talk about like what's about to happen here. But this one was very compelling. Gammy not having it. (laughs) She did not want Olivia there. She did not see the point. She was wasting her time. She's like, listen, I got this fresh makeup beat and I don't even feel like wasting it on this privileged little girl. She asked Jada, like, don't you think it's weird that Olivia asked Olivia asked to come on this show and she wanted to come on a show with three black women for her redemption story? She's like, her being here is the definition of white privilege. <laughs> like, the fact that you, that her first instinct, because she requested to be on the show, would be to come, I mean... Basically, it feels very tactical. It feels very like I'm hoping that these three minority women, three black women, will be compassionate toward me, will um, be, uh, you know, like give me a pass a little bit. You know, you know what I mean? So... Jada says what I don't like when people say is like, I don't, I don't ever want to be the thing that was done to me. Meaning people put me in a box, you know, white people put me in a box for being a black woman and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to put Olivia Jade in the box for being young, white and privileged, rich, whatever. So Gammy brings up the point that Olivia is going to be fine regardless. These things can go, you know, things like this come and go. But ultimately, what they did was a financial crime. Her parents will go to jail. They'll pay the fines. Everybody will find, like, there's really nothing lost outside of, like, some endorsement deals that Olivia is really going to have to deal with. There are very many more worse, far worse consequences that are, that come, you know, that could potentially have come to her. So Olivia comes out, the first thing she says and does is puts her hand on her heart and says, oh my God, my heart is racing. And they keep panning back to Gammy, (laughs) who was looking like, girl, right out the gate. (laughs) So they start off by asking Olivia why she wanted to do this. And Olivia said she wanted to be somewhere where she felt more understood than attacked. And this is where I was like, Oh, you're losing me already, girl, because I just feel like there are going to be times in our lives where we just have to take the L right. Like there's going to be something that you do or say, or somebody you support where you're going to have to realize that you just are not going to be able to slither away from the situation 
uh, you know, unscathed, right? So there are going to be times and situations where we just have to eat it. We just have to accept that there are going to be people who are going to have very critical things to say and them's the breaks kids. Like, so for the idea of like you seeking out a particular platform, host, whatever, it just rubs me the wrong way that that she was looking for them to help her because everybody has a right to be critical. Maybe not necessarily of her specifically because it seems like she didn't really know what was going on, but you have to understand that like people are going to have very judgmental things to say and you're just going to have to accept that because what you did or what you were associated with or participated in, whatever you want to call it, was a shitty thing to do. And there might not... There are going to be times where there are no opportunities to have people that are going to give you a platform to hear you out. Sometimes that's just not going to happen. So Gammy wants to know... If there was any conversation had between Olivia and her parents before they went to jail. And Olivia starts off by saying yes, but then she gets kind of like weird about it. She says, you know, first she starts off by saying, you know, like everybody, we can say everybody's in the wrong. Like everybody in my family is in the wrong for what they did. But they also deserve a chance to go through it, go to jail, pay their fines, whatever, and move on. So... I'm really curious to know what those conversations were that she had with her parents. Did they truly accept responsibility for their actions? Did they apologize for basically, you know, like Olivia's, you know, I I think you would say it would be like Lori Laughlin, Felicity, Olivia, and then her her dad. Like she's one of the top people named in the scandal Partially because of things that she said on her YouTube channel that I'll get into later. But it's also like, I just wonder, like, did they apologize to her? Did they really explain what they were thinking? Did they understand their privilege? Because if you're coming in here talking about how it was a process and how it took you so long. And I think she says at one point, if, you know, it took me a while to realize the depth to which I'm privileged and the way that I've been able to navigate this world to where I, if I had come to the red table a year ago, cause this happened, what April of 2019, that if I had come a year ago and it was December of 2019, I probably would have had a much different reaction. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be coming from the same place that I am coming from now. That is fair. I thought that was fair of her to, I thought that was good of her to admit that it took me a while to get to this place. That at first I really didn't understand what was happening in terms of like it being wrong. I didn't understand that what my parents did was wrong. I didn't understand why it was wrong. I didn't understand that like my parents have opportunities and have money and that gives me opportunities and has opened so many more doors for me than it would for the average person. I just thought that this was something that people did 
you know, I, I think that for, to a certain extent, a lot of us feel this way. Like we all know that you can go on any campus and see a random gym or hall or some sort of facility with a last name on it. And we all know that more than likely there was a nephew or a grandkid or a kid who probably got into school full stop or a lot easier because their name is on the name of that basketball gym. Right. So, um, what I found interesting is that she says she has not spoken to her parents since they, since they got into jail. So Lori at this point has been in a few weeks. She's serving two months. Her father is serving five months. She says she's not spoken to them since they entered the jail, but you're talking about how close you guys are. And there's no reason in the world why they wouldn't be able to have money on their books. <laughs> like, let's be real. It's just interesting to me that she says that they're so close and they talk all the time, especially she and her mom and how this was like the longest that they'd ever gone without communicating with each other. But then she also was like, Oh yeah, we haven't talked. And I think it might be because of the quarantine because of the pandemic, but I really don't know. Like, I, I just thought it was interesting that she seemed to have no idea of like where her parents were, or maybe she was covering them and, and saying she didn't want to, say anything that she shouldn't. Maybe she was protecting them. Who's to say? They're also have like throughout the episode, they're doing these like pop-up video style, you know, like fun facts. <laughs> when the first one that really caught my eye was the fact that Lori is at the same jail where Heidi Fleiss and Patty Hearst served their sentences for their respective jail time. And I'm just like, what, what kind of like divas live <laughs> icons celebrating icons from like, for like nonviolent, well, I guess Patty Hearst was pretty violent, but you know, like for rich women who were in the Hollywood scene for some, you know, for some reason or another and, and of now are like, you know. <laughs> like the jail for for wealthy women of ill repute like i i need to know about this who else has been there who else so jada did something that was so funny because she is like fully team you deserve olivia jade like i'm listening i'm a listening ear to you i'm i hear you i see you and so she starts off by saying like so olivia you were on spring break when you found out about your parents right mm. <laughs> Yeah, poor, poor Olivia. And I have to say, this actually did. I was like, okay, this is the probably one moment where she's going to get me. Like, imagine being on vacation with your friends, spring break, having a good time. Somebody calls you. This is what Olivia says. Somebody called her and said, have you talked to your mom? So at this point, uh, her mom is in Vancouver filming for, you know, name that lifetime Christmas movie. And her dad, I guess, is in California. So he's been arrested, but Olivia does not know. So we all remember where we were when we heard about, you know, when Aunt Becky started trending on Twitter. <laughs> so somebody calls her and is like, if you talk to your mom, she's like, no. And the person on the end of the line was like, I think you need to call your mom and uh, call me when you're done. So <laughs> Olivia says she had this sinking feeling in her stomach 
decided to Google her mom's name, everything popped up. And so she's like, so I'm standing here with all my friends, knowing that both of my parents just got caught up in this college admission scandal. My dad has been arrested. And I don't know if my the friends that I'm looking at know, but they're about to find out. <laughs> Either they know and they're not saying anything, or these headlines are about to pop up in everybody's Google alerts. Because she, I believe, was staying with the daughter of one of the heads of uh, USC. Like, I think there were, like, on the family yacht or something so they were gonna find out (laughs) very quickly (laughs) that i was like damn that's really embarrassing girl (laughs) oh that one had to hurt she says she's never gone back to school since then she felt so ashamed she hid in her house for three or four months has never gone back her sister bella has also never gotten back gone back <clears throat> so Olivia goes on to say, like, I don't want pity, but I do want to speak out and show how I learned what I learned. And she says, you know, with all the stuff of me getting to school, I was just too privileged to even see that what I was doing was wrong and not something that everybody else has access to. So then she says, you know, like, if I, if the shoe were on the other foot and I was like looking at an Olivia Jade, I would probably be saying the same hurtful things that people have been saying to me this whole time. Um, and it took me a while to realize exactly why people were upset, but she, she's glad that she gets it now. So then she says at first she didn't understand because like I said, in her bubble, this is normal. People donate money. They have recruitment guys, All of this is above board. She was not seeing beyond herself. And then she addresses all those clips. Do you guys remember when this shit came out that people did all these YouTube videos of like, here's Olivia Jade being a rich, disgusting, white privileged bitch for six minutes straight. (laughs) Here's Olivia Jade trying to be relatable, but failing for 10 minutes. Here's Olivia Jade trying to act poor because she says she went to Taco Bell. But if you look closely, there are seven Cartier Love bracelets just dangling off of her dainty wrist. (laughs) So then she says, you know, also the clips that she was saying, like, you know, I don't really care about school. I'm going to have to work out how much I can actually be here. I really only care about, like, the football games and partying. She says, you know... I didn't even understand the privilege in being able to say things like that. Like, I really am only going to school because I want to go for the social aspect. She's like, I didn't realize how powerful that is for me to say when ultimately, like, I don't need to go to school. I'm going to be fine. And I thought that was really good of her. Then we get the like white savior Sandra Bullock moment, right? So she says that she went to Watts, which if you guys don't know, Watts is like a name of a town that they in California, much like Compton, that has a lot of stereotypical qualities to it. Being, you know, it's crime ridden. It is poor people. 
black people if we want to go that far. Um, she says, you know, I went to this after school program in Watts and it was just really great for me to see that like these kids had a, um, they had, um, you know, like a safe space, you know, from all the, all the guns, all the guns on the street. She didn't say that, but <laughs> she may as well have, you know, it's a safe space for them to go and do homework. And I didn't even realize that like, you know, I had all these privileges that they have to have special programs to, you know, to have access to. And she says, you know, I want to learn to use my privilege for good. And I don't just want to throw money at the situation. I want to know what I'm participating in. And I want to be like an active, I want to play an active role in being part of the solution. So then Adrian asks, Olivia, Gammy asks Olivia, do you truly understand why people are upset? And did I say this already? She says, you know, she needed time to get to this place. Yeah. And that if this was a year ago, she wouldn't have been able to have the conversation. But, um, you know, like her parents thought that they were going to a legit recruiter. He turned out to be like a scam artist, basically. Um, but then Jada asks, like, Gammy, do you want to explain to Olivia <laughs> why you're upset? <laughs> because you've been, you've been mean mugging this whole time. So let's just get into it, right? So Gammy says, you know, just being a black person involves a daily, you know, devastation. And that it's so difficult to go through, especially this year, um... When there have been so many horrible things that are happening that we have to have these conversations about. And Olivia, when you come to the table with something like this, I'm like, girl, please, like, I'm exhausted with the fact with everything that I have to deal with. And I don't have the energy to deal with the fact that you lost your endorsements because at the end of the day, your parents will do their 60 days. They'll pay their fines. They'll be okay. And that is not the situation for most people. Now, Olivia does look like she wants to cry at this point, but she's taking it. She's taking it. And I appreciated the fact that she did not speak over anybody. She told Gammy, I want to hear what you have to say. And I want to understand where you're coming from. I, this is something that I need to hear. And she took it in. She took it in. Um, Gammy's like, you know, it makes me very difficult to see why I should look at you and care about what you're going with, going through and feeling compassionate for it. Like that's just, true but then gammy does say you know i'm glad that what i'm hearing from you is that there is an interest or a desire for you to make a difference and olivia says you know she didn't come to the red table to get people to like her she just wanted people to know that she's aware so then Olivia says, again, at the beginning, I genuinely didn't understand why people were upset. I didn't see what we were doing was wrong. I'm embarrassed that I was sitting there as basically the poster child for white privilege, and I couldn't see the forest for the trees here. And then she says, you know, like, even though I'm close to my parents, I confronted them, and they didn't really say much, but they were like, oh, we're so sorry. So... Like I said, I just, 
like I said earlier, like I would love to have known what the conversation is, but maybe now that I'm just thinking about that, how they didn't have much to even say to her, but they kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think it tells you all we need to know about what they have or have not learned. <laughs> and mm, I'm I'm not liking the feeling and the instinct that is boiling up inside of me at this point. I'll just say that. So then Jada asks, why do you think that it was so important that your parents had you why do you think it was so important that your parents wanted you to get into USC? Olivia starts off by saying that she thinks that her father has attachment issues. <laughs> and that he just wanted his daughters to be really close by. But then she says, Lori, her mom, was basically like, not really... Basically, she kind of pinned it on her father. She said, you know, my dad wanted us to be close by. My mom was in Vancouver filming at the time I was applying for colleges. And she basically was like, Massimo, I'm going to lead, leave the college stuff up to you. I've basically, like, been a mom all these years. The girls are now grown enough that they're going to college. So I'm going to leave this up to you. And she went up to Canada. Leaving all of those decisions to be made in his hands. And then she says that her, basically neither of them, Lori nor Massimo had gone to college. And basically Massimo had heard all these things from his like rich, you know, Southern California people that went to USC. He heard that it was like the greatest college experience ever. And he really wanted his girls to have that. Interesting. Um, very interesting. I thought that she was like, she mentioned a couple times how close she was to she and her mom are not so much her father. She's, she does mention once like, yeah, my whole family's close, but then she qualifies with saying, you know, like me and my mom are a little bit closer, you know? And so I'm, I would love to know more about her relationship with her dad. I would love to know if she's... I don't think they asked, like, are you mad at them? How do you feel about them? That, I think, would have been a great direct question. Is it a fair question because those are your parents? Like, maybe not. I mean, can we really, like, be upset at Olivia if she were to still say, like, I still love my parents and, you know, they they were good parents to me and blah, blah, blah. No. I, I mean, you can't really blame her parents can do a lot worse things that you should hate them for them like throwing their money around uh, you know <laughs> i see why you would be f more forgiving towards that so then basically we end it <clears throat> gammy wants to know how olivia's friends reacted and if they're all you know like her in terms of like their not they're being oblivious to their privilege and gammy brings up a very good point because olivia kind of goes back into the spiel of like we just didn't know we weren't taught this we lived in a bubble and gammy was like i read the news and i watch the news every day you have the same access to i that i do you guys are young adults at this point 
So I kind of feel like when you say, like, I didn't know I was in this bubble, a little bit of it comes off like you're pushing your awareness, you're putting that responsibility in other people's hands. And you're grown. Like, you're 21 at this point. You guys should be able to figure it out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So then Gammy wants to say, like, she says, you know, I, I don't want to just make it about race because there are other privileges that came into play to get you to where you are now. That being you're very wealthy. You had financial privilege. And Olivia says, you know, I she she doesn't want people to think that she doesn't care about school because she actually worked really hard in high school. And she's like, when I'm hearing all these reports about what exactly happened, what my parents did, I'm thinking I wrote this whole like <laughs> this was funny. I wrote this whole like essay, college acceptance admittance essay about um, YouTube and going to VidCon. And then I'm looking and I'm seeing that, you know, the essay that was submitted was a completely different essay that I didn't write. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe, maybe they made some smart decisions there. Like, does a, do college admissions people really want to hear about your YouTube career? Do, do they want to read your essay about how you um, make six figures from being hot and, and making a palette? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Anyway, that was the end. I can't believe I talked about that for so long. Let me know what you guys think. Let me know what you guys thought if you watched it. If there's anything that I missed, let me know. Don't let me know. Because there's nothing I can do about it. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next. Oh, uh, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, uh, to say the least. And uh, I spent all day going over and over in my head, um, you know, our, our parting. <sighs> you know, I first want to tell you, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so, so sorry for making you think I questioned your integrity, your decision-making ability. It was the least of my intentions. I never would. I swear to you. Our goodbye was so bizarre, so surreal. I, I just I couldn't even fathom what just happened. And I was thinking of all of these things that I hadn't been able to share with you. 
you know, sometimes you don't realize things until they're gone. And I realized in that moment that I love you. All right, you guys, let's talk about The Bachelorette. Is it just me or is it getting like pretty heavy handed with like the personal stories? Y'all remember like when American Idol got to, you know, pass its fifth, fifth season it began this culture of like who has the most depressing heart-wrenching origin story that led them to the American Idol stage and it's feeling a little bit like the bachelorette is doing that it's kind of giving me like just misery <laughs> negativity and chaos i'm not saying that i have an issue with people having a bad um, upbringing, childhood, whatever, but it's like, damn, all of you guys have these, like, really heavy-hitting stories, and I just would like a guy to be like, yeah, I, you know, my parents got divorced when I was maybe, you know, 14, but we got through it. Everything's fine. Is that too much to ask? (laughs) Um, so we're winding down, you guys. The electricity in the air, y'all? palpable and meaningful it is the week before hometowns hometowns can you believe it (laughs) the stakes are high you guys but we start off the episode with the cliffhanger that we left with last week which was Tasha having this one-on-one conversation with both Bennett and Noah Did I see all of her conversation with Bennett? No. Did I have to see all of her conversation with Bennett to understand what he did? Which more than likely was him using a bunch of $5 words and his like Harvard cadence of speaking and basically just talk about, you know, like how much he's there for the right reasons, how Noah's not there for the right reasons. And he's looking out for her and wants to make sure that, you know, everybody's there for her. Boring. <laughs> Boring. Noah almost starts to cry to Tasha, talking about how Bennett has been going after him, how he's been bullying him, basically. And they're trying, production is trying to make this dramatic. They're trying so hard, you guys. They're making Tasia you know, pause after every word to make it seem more meaningful. And, and like, she's really thinking about this as she's going along. And, you know, the fact that these two grown men are going after one another, like complete idiots, thirsty for television time. That's a lot to deal with you guys. So much so that she can't finish a sentence with more than five, less than five breaths. Okay. Thank fuck. She does not give the rose to Bennett. They have to do this walk out. But did you guys notice as she was walking him, they were walking down a path and they're both making eye contact with each other. So it's not like they're walking in a normal way. They're walking like they're playing Red Rover with each other. Like, (laughs) walking sideways down this path just so they can make eye contact. It was weird. She lets Bennett go. We walk back in on Noah, who's, like, chugging a bottle of Tic Tacs 
the green ones, like, this is, like, the greatest come up for him of all time. And Tasha's like, oh, no, sir. You don't need to be celebrating. This is not a win for you. Bennett leaving is not, like, a pass for you that everything is okay between us. Just so you know. I can't give you a rose. But I will see you at the rose ceremony. So, Noah then meets up with the bros. He apologizes to everybody and is like, I'm so sorry that, like, all of this drama has been... I've been roping you guys into it, just even indirectly, and... I'm sorry. My bad. The bros have an issue with this. They're heated. They are very focused on every minute, every second that they have left with Tasha before hometowns. And they don't want anything in their path. It's it's really getting heated, you guys. (laughs) So then they all get together. They all have, you know, their like group cocktail date with Tasia which they can you know grab her at their leisure and uh, you know force her to pay attention to them so last week I didn't talk about something because you know some things you see are so painful that your body is trying to take care of you by not allowing you to remember your oppressing memories. That was me when I noticed last week that Riley had given Tasia a Cynthia Bailey style friendship contract, a relationship contract, right? So the, she had to sign it to officially denote that they are boyfriend and girlfriend. So this week a production sets up a lovely, um, you know, one of those cakes that you can basically only get at a hotel at like a four or five star hotel. It looked, you know, maybe like, who cares? It doesn't matter. It was a hotel dessert to commemorate their one year, one week, one week anniversary. <laughs> Riley. Okay. Zach gives Tasha a cheesy picture from their photo shoot last week in which they had to pretend like they were married. Ah, Jojo's back, you guys. Jojo's back. And she calls Tasha. She's like, you know, it's time to get ready for the rose ceremony. Noah ends up getting a rose in the end. We have to say goodbye to Spencer and his very pretty eyes. Spencer that looks like Gina Keogh's son. Shane, the one that played baseball. Um, We have to say goodbye to the man who looks like a Taylor ham. I don't really know how he got through life looking like a Pixar character, but here we are, and now he's gone. Jojo goes to the bro house later and is like, I just want you guys to know, after the situation with Noah and Bennett, uh, Taisha's okay, and she told me she's falling in love. (laughs) Oh, thank God. Thank, thank God she's she's managed to recover from uh, this complete weirdo Bennett and has managed to fight through all of that to fall in love with one or more of you, but probably more, okay? So, like I said, Hometowns is next week. They find out 
Zach starts weeping both in real time when he realizes that hometowns are a week away and then later in an interview he is crying so hard why do you ask why would this grown-ass man be so triggered at the thought of going to hometowns and he cries on two separate occasions over the same subject He's crying because he gets along with his parents. (laughs) He's crying because he gets along with his parents and he's crying because he, this is a big deal. And he said, it's like we went from me and Tasha are dating to like, I'm bringing her home to my parents and saying, this is my future wife. He kept crying, you guys. There were so many tears. So many tears on a level of like, when I realized that the, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas signed a headshot that I got and paid for in the mail was not actually signed by him and was more than likely just signed by an assistant or somebody in the Jonathan Taylor Thomas, the JTT fan club. That level of emotion. Wow. He was really crying. (laughs) It was getting weird. So Ben and his neck get the first one-on-one date for the week. Jojo, Tasha and Ben and his neck go up to Jojo and she's like, Hi, follow my riddles three and go around, cruise around the La Quinta in some like highlighter colored scooters and helmets. Tasha calls him out at one point for pretending to be too perfect. And then Ben takes this opportunity to say that he tried to kill himself both in 2018 and 2019 after a failed career in the army. Now that's deep y'all. That is deep. They start making out. Tasha's like, I see you and I hear you and I want to put my tongue in your mouth. So they do that. He gets a rose. So he's good for this ceremony. And then they go to a different location on the La Quinta property to dance to an acoustic artist. Excuse me. And a, a guy with an acoustic guitar. Um, Tasha says... This is a magic moment and I can't believe we're here dancing while Adam Hambrick sings to us. And it's like, you can't believe it. I can't believe it. Can anybody believe it? Because who the hell is Adam Hambrick? (laughs) No, I can definitively say I did not ever imagine you dancing to an Adam Hambrick song because I have zero idea who that is. And I think... Think you guys are just making fetch happen. I'd be willing to put up upwards of three dollars to say that Adam Hambrick is probably like the nephew of somebody who is like a higher up in production on the crew, and this is like his moment. Adam, get that acoustic guitar out and wow the audience of America. All of Bachelor Nation. <laughs> who the fuck? 
is Adam Hambrick. You guys can't just, like, say people, like, this is so-and-so. Like, we're all just expected to know who that is. Is he, like, from the X Factor or something? He must have come from, like, a some sort of a competition show. Because who the who is who? Who is that? Who is that? <laughs> um, moving on. <clears throat> Blake is really excited. So Blake is the one with the chin strap. He is the one who made a dick out of clay last week. He seems like a big bro. He seems like a simple man who you know, doesn't talk much and thank God for it because when he does, it's like, oh, okay. You're still talking about like that time you won beer pong five years ago at your frat party. Blake is fucking losing it. He says, you know, hometowns are around the corner and I'm hanging by a thread here. (laughs) A thread. Blake, talk to somebody about that. Um, they have a group date, if you can even call it that, because really it was strapping, um, cords to the guy's chest and giving them a lie detector test, but like a very 1970s style lie detector test because it had three lights, red, yellow, green, and it would go up if you were saying a true thing, the green light would go off. If you were saying a, a lie, the red one would, would go off. And if you, if they weren't sure, the orange one, for maybe, would go off. Uh, Riley, thank you for bringing it all into perspective. When Tasia asked, would you recommend that your clients take a lie detector test, because he's a lawyer, he said, no, because they're largely inaccurate. <laughs> This makes no sense to be participating in, but hey, I guess I'll do it. So, Tasia is taking this shit all extremely, extremely serious. Tasia was like, you know what, just to like quell any fears that you guys have, I'm going to take one first. And so Jojo, Jojo's the the lie detector test administrator, by the way. Jojo asks her three very hard-hitting questions. Are you falling in love? Are you falling in love with somebody here? Are you falling in love with more than one person that's here? Bam, bam, bam. And then she answers all of them truthfully. All, yes. And they, Jojo's like, you know what? Um, that's how you do it, you guys. That's how you answer a question. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I mean, I think they understand the concept of the truth. Never mind. So then Deja also is like, you know what? I'm just really scared. I'm scared about the results because I have, I've been divorced. Just so you guys know. Again, the stakes are so low with Deja. (laughs) She's been married before. That's all y'all could find. Honestly. Zach admits to cheating on an ex, which... Zach has been touted as like, honestly, y'all, let's talk about this. Zach has been touted as like the, the favorite, I don't know. Well, favorite may not be the right word. He is, they're making it seem like he is the most likely one to end up winning, right? I think they're trying to hit us with the okie doke. And I think 
he it's gonna be like a last minute like she decides not to go for him something dramatic happens and then it's like a whole big thing because oh my god I loved him so much and I really had feelings for I was falling for him what a tragedy that me and Zaxi aren't gonna get together my guess I think Ben might be a bit of an underdog here I think Ben might take it to the hoop you know I think that's a saying. Um, like I said, Zach admits to cheating on an ex. Tasha's like freaking the fuck out because she's like, that is an absolute real breaker for me. Er, deal breaker for me. I cannot be, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. I don't know what to do about this. Wow. Um, then Jojo asks Riley what his name is and the red light goes off as if he's lying. And Tasha's like, wow, what is his real name? And I was really going to like roast the hell out of her for that. But then we find out that that actually was not Riley's real name. He was lying. But was that clearly something that production made him do? Yeah, obviously. Obviously. So then Tasha's like, oh my God, Zach, you admitted to cheating. We need to sit down and talk about this. And Zach is telling this whole like around the way story about how, you know, it was my my first love or whatever the hell he said and you know we were at the bolorama and i kissed another girl after this and you know it was in sixth grade and tasha's like oh my god zach like why didn't you tell me this was sixth grade like you made such a big deal out of this like oh my god i'm so relieved are you sure that you're telling the truth are you sure you're not lying to me you've never cheated since then oh what a relief zach what a relief. It was just your sixth grade girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, you really are perfect and I'm falling for you, Zach. Now that I know it was just the girl that you cheated on in sixth grade. So like I said, Riley admits to Tasia that that actually is not his real name. It, I was a little bit confused about the dynamic because Riley had been hesitant all episode about hometowns. And when they asked him during the lie detector, are you excited for Tasha to meet your family? He was like, eh, eh. <laughs> so it turns out like Riley's got some like weird, complicated dynamic. He said that he went by his father's name for the first 22 years. I might be getting this wrong. But from my understanding, he and his father was in his life. They had a good relationship. Something went down. And now they're like really estranged from one another to the point where Riley has now changed his name. So his name originally was like Dwayne something. And then he changed it to something where Riley was in the middle, was his middle name. But he goes by Riley. He was mumbling so much. I honestly like, I, I cannot take a low talker. So like... I'm just going to let you get through whatever you said and pretend, you know, I'm going to fake it till I make it and pretend like I, I, it, it was easily translatable as I stumble through this sentence talking about how I hate that people aren't, uh, you know, good speakers. Right. So we end the episode and Tasha's like, you know what? Um, I'm not ready to give the rose to anyone before the ceremony. So she goes back to her room and on her way back to the casita, who is standing outside the door but Bennett? He is apologetic. 
He apologizes for questioning her intentions. And he said, I, you know, I realized that I love you and that I would love nothing more than to stay. Tasha says, you know, when I let you go earlier, I really didn't feel that good about it. I had feelings for you. And now I'm just like so confused now that you're standing outside of my casita. I really don't know what to do. So they compromise and she decides to let him know the answer the following day. Wow. Isn't it so crazy that she decided not to do the rose ceremony and then walk back to her house. And then the contestant that had been taken off the premises was back and arrived and was waiting for her. And now suddenly she's so conflicted. Can you believe? I can't. Can't wait to find out what happens next week in a double episode. Ugh. Ugh. Two episodes next week. And they better not be two hours each. Otherwise, I will protest. Okay, let's move on. I didn't start to feel like I'm giving up on the relationship until I came home to an empty house. You don't just move on. And not, and not, and not. You didn't say you were moving out this weekend. You said you were moving some of your things in your last text message. I get home and everything is gone. Even food out of the damn pantry, Brett. I don't even think Brett considered me when he moved out. I think. All right. You guys, it is a very important day here, Everett, everyone's, everyone's business but mine. As you guys all know, I'm a huge fan of the show Married at First Sight. This week, I was joined by the amazing Olivia of Married at New Orleans. Hello, Olivia. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I just have so many questions. I'm such a huge fan of the show, like, for real. I think it's one of the best reality shows on TV today. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to answer as many questions as I can. (laughs) So, starting off, I've heard in the past that some of the former cast members were recruited to be on the show. Like, people found them out on social media. So, did you sign up for the show in the more traditional way, or did people seek you out? Oh, no, I 100% signed up for the show. I have watched the show since season one, maybe missing one or two seasons throughout. Um, but, you know, I wa- I moved to New Orleans back in 2017, and um, I made my cousin start watching with me. And I would just sit there and be like, you know what? If anybody can do this, I got the right personality. I'm pretty easygoing. I can do this. So um, she was actually the one that sent me the um, little screenshot at the bottom of the tv saying that they were casting for new orleans and so i was like well should i do it so i um naturally signed up and never thought in a million years that they would actually find me a match but (laughs) here we are (laughs) that is so that must have been so wild to get the call because it seems like you have like a very short time period between finding out that you're on the show and marrying somebody so that must have been like a whirlwind of emotions Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, The initial process takes a little bit, you know, as they're, you know, doing all the interviews and everything. But once you realize that you're getting closer to being matched, it's just one after another. So it it all happens relatively quickly after that. Do you 
think that that's the best way to go about it to just kind of be like, okay, I'm in it. I'm just going to get the ball rolling. Or would you have liked like maybe a little bit more time to think about it or being a fan of the show, you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into. I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. I guess I didn't really realize the time frame um, up front, but I think if they had given more time to think about it, more than likely it gives you more time to be like, mm, I don't think I should do this. And so I think just, you know, go in full speed. It's like, okay, well, here we are. I guess I'm doing this. And then you do it. <laughs> That's wild. Um, yeah. I had a lot of questions, both from myself and from listeners of the show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of questions. I'm going to start off with just like an easy question for you um, from a listener named Carolyn. She has a few questions in one. Um, they're all about Brett. First of all, okay. how dare he? Who gave him the right? <laughs> Where does he get off? And what in the world? Were you immediately? It seemed like in the very beginning when you met Brett, you were like really into him, right? And then it seemed like one of the main questions is like, how far into it did you think, oh, this is maybe not the man for me? You know, when you when you decide that you're going to marry a stranger, you know, you think worst case scenario. That's the only thing that plays that played in my mind. I should say I shouldn't speak for others, but you always, you know, I'm like, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And so in my mind, when I walk down the aisle, I'm like, oh, he's really actually attractive. You know, he's tall. He looks like he works out. He's got pretty blue eyes. And so there was definitely initial attraction because, you know, I'm expecting the worst (laughs) and then you know we really um I felt like we really hit it off during the wedding night and um going into the honeymoon and I feel like during the honeymoon we had a great time we had a couple bumps in the road that people saw um but I still think at that point I was like okay you know this is a marriage we're gonna try to make this work and we're still trying to figure out each other you know I've only known you know known Brett for what, 24, 48 hours at this point. And so I feel like you can't put um, so much like judgment or pressure on a, on a relationship when you're just starting it, you know? So I think there was a lot of hope in the beginning and my mindset was like, I'm going to go all in. And then it just didn't turn out to be that way. <laughs> yeah. You bring up a good point because I would imagine like if I were on the show it would be really difficult for uh, for me to think like, okay, I do only know this person. I just met them. So maybe mm-hmm. I should give them like a little bit more grace because just because the experts match you up doesn't mean that like everything's going to be perfect. You have to work on it. But I think I would be so focused on like, oh my gosh, this is working. It has to work right now. So I really gave you a lot of credit you're for sure one of my favorite uh, cast members from the season. I, I, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan. So my, I guess my first question, since you're kind of talking about the beginning of things, how far into it did you hear Karen's story about figuring out who Miles was before the show? Do you guys get to talk about that stuff? Did she tell you at the honeymoon? Um, I can't remember exactly when I found out about it. It had to have been much, much later. Um, it wasn't anything that I discussed with her at the honeymoon. Um, cause even then, you know, I was still trying to get to know Karen. So to her, I was still kind of a stranger. We had hung out, you know, for the bachelorette party, but 
um, other than that, we were all still trying to, you know, navigate our friendship. So I didn't, I don't think I found out about that until much later that she had actually met Miles. Um, yeah. But I couldn't exactly tell you when, but I, we did talk about it. Okay. It might've been during quarantine. Gotcha. When we got quarantined. So my first red flag with Brett was when you guys were on the honeymoon, you were asked to rate where you think your marriage is at now. He clearly overheard you, felt some type of way about that. But I feel like the very, the day before that, he was telling you how great of a communicator he was and how like, you'll never have an issue talking to him about things. And then this rating situation comes up and I feel like he completely shut down. Was that like mm-hmm. still feeling like I should just feel hopeful about this situation or were you like, oh no. <laughs> well, I so rating the marriage, the whole thing to me was harmless. It was saying like, where do you rate your marriage where we're at right now? And I'm like, our marriage isn't perfect because what marriage is and we're having a good time at this point I'm enjoying his company we're getting to know each other things are going pretty smooth and so I'm like seven seven and a half is pretty good um it's not perfect but it's not mediocre and it's not poor um so that's kind of how I saw it just kind of it was just a question um and apparently he heard that and really um hurt his feelings um and so I guess I kind of saw where he was coming from and it, and like, i like, I guess he thought he was putting in a lot of effort at this point and that it should have been higher. Um, but it was all relative to me. Um, but I felt like when someone tells you they're a good communicator and then you're trying to understand why you're treating someone the way you are and kind of giving them the cold shoulder and not really understanding their reaction and you're not getting an explanation. I'm like, okay, well, you got to tell me because I can't read your mind. Um, so that was a big, it was a big kind of turnoff for me. It was like, if we're going to work through this, then you have to tell me what I'm doing wrong and what I, what right. I can do to understand how you're going to communicate with me and how I hurt your feelings. You know, I, you, we're not mind readers and yeah, at this point we're married. So what, what's the harm in saying, Hey, Olivia, you hurt my feelings. I don't think you should have said that. This is how right. I feel about it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's just not how it went down. <laughs> I I thought seven was actually the perfect answer considering the question and where you guys were at. Like, yeah, I don't want to be too high and be like, Oh, everything's so great. We're like riding on a, on a rainbow. But then Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, you guys are getting to know each other. You're having a nice time. Things are going well. Like seven is a very solid number. I think. Yeah. And he took it on a grading scale where it's like, I think a what a C or a D is what he said. Um, And I'm like, we're not taking a test. This is just how I felt. And I thought it was the most um, respectful answer I could give. (laughs) Um, One of my favorite things that you said right off the bat was that you are a fan of Taco Bell. Do you have a go-to order or do you like to mix it up? Oh, no. I am 100% the same order every time I go to Taco Bell. And I don't eat a lot of fast food, but I can eat Taco Bell every day if it was an option. Um, I am a two bean burrito, extra onions, extra red sauce, and a crunchy taco supreme. Olivia, <laughs> I feel like people don't appreciate the extra onions. It really adds flavor that you you don't expect. It's really good. Yes. Yeah, you have to have the extra onions because sometimes you don't even get on. I don't. Sometimes I don't even think they put onions in there. Yeah, exactly. So shout yeah. out 
a little tip for me and Olivia, you guys, just flash out the extra 10 cents on the onions. It'll change yeah. your... <laughs> it's a game changer. Um, it really is. It really is. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So, okay, I have a, a second most popular question. People were asking various versions of the same question, but I'm going to ask it, I think, in a proper way, because this is a, a proper podcast. No, it's not. But I, my question is, okay, it seems like over the course of the season, there was a lot of chatter about the pairings of people. And I'm curious if during filming, did you wonder if maybe you should have been matched up with Henry and Christina and Brett were matched? Or did you see why you were matched with Brett? Because I really thought maybe they just pulled an, an oopsie on you guys and you should have been matched with Henry instead. Yeah, there was a lot of chatter about that as people, I guess, saw the show and, you know, felt certain ways about um, us and different and had their own opinions about us during uh, the airing of the show. Um, that wasn't even a thought that crossed my mind um, while we were actually um, in our marriages and, you know, getting to know everybody from friends to husbands and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Henry's a great guy. Um, if I were to be matched with Henry, do I think we would be married. I don't know. You know, um, I, we've, we have since formed a great friendship and try to hang out and keep in touch with each other. Um, but you can never live life. Like what if this, and what if I would have had that and how would have this turned out? Um, I think you just have to take life day by day. And you know, if something were to happen with me and Henry, then maybe then we were meant to be, but, um, I don't think Brett was my perfect match clearly. Um, but I can't say that some, you know, that Henry would have been a better match for me. I do think we have more in common and, you know, have similar values and stuff. So that makes it easier to say, but you mm-hmm. know, I, I can't live like, well, what if, what if I would have gotten matched with him? How, how much better would it have been for me? Yeah. Um, I think I would have for sure got a great friend out of it. I think so too. He seems like a very solid guy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you guys, um, the group that is still in New Orleans, for the most part, you guys seem like you're still on good terms with each other and you guys hang out. You seem like you and Amani have a pretty good friendship with one another. That has to have been like one of the better benefits from having been on the show. 
Oh, yeah. I wouldn't trade the show for anything. Um, I wish it would have turned out better and I would be in love with a man. Um, but I'm in love with new friends and um, we would, we have built some pretty solid friendships and we do try to get together um, at least, you know, once a month or so. And just we call it family dinner and just get together. And it's usually just me and Henry and then the Randalls and the Williams. Um, but we do try to stay in touch and we all have a group message and, you know, we talk to each other and just check in and make sure everybody's doing okay. So I wouldn't trade this whole experience um, for the world just because I got great friends out of it. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Speaking of the Randalls, do you ever wonder if maybe Woody and Imani were kind of put in to be like mini experts especially since you guys were so separated due to COVID and all the filming restrictions, do you think they, they, they put some extra work in for Woody and Imani? (laughs) (laughs) I think it wasn't intentional, but I do think that um, Imani is just such an easygoing person. And she and I actually formed a friendship um, kind of through the process before we even knew we were matched. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was easy to go to her. And there were times during everything, you know, that, I was having a bad time in my marriage and I didn't want to keep going to her to bring negativity, you know, to her because, you know, she's working on the same thing. But I definitely think that Woody and Imani provided a lot of advice, probably to all of us at some point. (laughs) And I'm sure we are all forever grateful for that. Um, But they, they definitely held their own and, you know, kept everyone encouraged and kind of guided everyone, I think a little bit in their own way. Yeah. Um, So, on decision day, I was screaming at my TV, I have to tell you, in defense of you. Mm-hmm. Because in my opinion, I felt like the experts were not really hearing your side of things when it came to the breakup and then Brett sending like hey wifey texts to you after the fact. So mm-hmm. I guess were you frustrated or did you get that sense that maybe they weren't on your side or were there something that we didn't see? Because it felt like they wanted you to be like, Olivia, he sent you three texts after he moved out of your house. Like, why aren't you being nicer to him? <laughs> I'm like, I, I hear her. Why is nobody hearing Olivia? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I was a little frustrated on decision day. I think the experts are great people in general. Um, I felt like I was put on the the hot spot, I guess. I don't know what the right term is, but I felt like I was in the hot seat. And, um, you know, at, at one point that I don't think they showed, um, I can't remember for sure. That episode was hard for me to watch. Um, but Pastor Kyle had said, Olivia, I feel like you are wanting him to say something that he's not going to say. Like, yeah. I just wanted, I think out of the whole process, I just wanted to look over at Brett and say, like, what did you learn through this? Like, despite us not being together, have you, like, self-reflected and have you thought about how you can be a better version of yourself from doing this experience? And I just don't think I ever got that answer, and that was frustrating. But then I felt a little beat down afterwards, like, I was in the wrong. Yes, I have my flaws. I have my problems. I can be privy to that. Did I shut down? Was I potentially cold to bread at certain times? 100%. But there comes a time when you're just like, this isn't going to work. So you're done. And so I just felt like I got a little bit punished for, you know, maybe giving up and not giving it at all. But I'm like, if you move out of the house and you basically say you're done, please don't text me saying, hey, wifey, hey, cute wifey. 
Like you. all of this stuff. Like, I'm not about that. Like you're done with me. I'm done with you. That's the end of discussion. I'm here to finish up, you know, this, this season and move, move forward. And I yeah. think to an extent, I tried to stay pretty cordial with Brett as best I could, but ultimately like it was just frustrating because there was still no communication and it was just like I was being the bad guy, kind of being a bully is how I kind of felt that day went. Yeah, I, I fully understand why you would have felt that way. So speaking of when he officially moved out, what was your reaction? Was it literally just you coming back to the apartment and seeing that he had taken everything? There was conversations via text message and phone call. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't get too much into the details of production, but um, he had made the plan to move out on the original decision day. Um, which was a week later than the day he actually moved out. So I went home um, to kind of clear my head. I'm a huge mama's girl. I haven't, you know, COVID had happened. I hopped in my car. I drove to my hometown. I stayed at my mom's house, and that was it Um, to everyone who thinks that I was very irresponsible during COVID. Um, And I needed to clear my head because I needed to make a decision on, Olivia, is this what you want to do? Is this something that you're going to want to work through? Or are you at the point where you're just done? And so he had talked about moving home because he had said that my cat was bullying his cat, whatever, whatever. And um, he had said he was moving home on the original decision day. So when I come home on that weekend Sunday, um, I thought he was moving out the following weekend. So I come home and there's nothing there. And he was supposed to meet me back at the apartment to have a conversation with me. He was just moving some of his things while I was traveling in my car. And um, he was supposed to be back there to talk when, when I got home. Well, then he said, well, I had no intentions of coming back. And so I was like, well, we could have had a whole week to plan. Like, okay, is this the end of our marriage? Like, are we going to stay at your house Monday, Tuesday? You're going to come to the apartment on Wednesday, Thursday. Like, try to navigate what we're going to do. Because at this point, we hadn't really said this is it. Like, we're done. Um, so it just kind of left a lot of things in the air. And I felt like that just kind of solidified my answer as to, okay, this, is, this isn't this is for me. Um, and, um, and you can stop me whenever, but I can be long-winded. No. Um, But the following day, we had opted to go work together, which this wasn't on the show. Um, We made some diary cams about it, but we had homework from the experts at this time. And we had said that he was going to come to the apartment and we were going to work on it. Well, then long story short, I ended up going to his house um, to try to work on these exercises. And I thought they were going really well. Some of the questions were like to relive your childhood a little bit and like talk about your childhood, maybe show some pictures of y'all as children. And so I thought that would be a good way to figure out how Brett got from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Well, as the conversation went on, he got a little upset, I guess, because I was getting maybe defensive and the whole thing just went to a shit show, I guess. And he had told me, I think it's time for you to leave. Okay. So I get in my car and I leave. And that, that was the moment that I said, this is it. That's, that was my final, final straw. I came to your house to try to work on this after you had moved out. Right. Not when you told me you were going to, and this is what I get in return. So I wish that would have been seen, or at least the diary cams or something, just because nobody knows that that happened. Um, yeah. But that, that right there was my, like, my final straw. I was like, okay, like, you don't care. I'm done. I tried. This is it. We're just right. not meant to be together. 
Yeah. Wow. That is very frustrating. I can only. Um, so I have a, another question. I I'm, I'm, don't want you to feel trapped into answering something shady. <laughs> so I'm trying to ask <laughs> this. Um, do you feel like you were portrayed accurately? Or do you feel like, you know, part B to that, do you feel like everybody, good, bad, or indifferent, was portrayed accurately on the show? I think that when I look and watch the show, when I watched it back, I didn't ever look and be like, oh, that person is completely different than they are in person. Mm -hmm. I think there were topics in each person's marriage that um, kept getting brought up, mine being the finances and travel and all of this. Um, And I think that things just got played over and over and over. But I don't think that looking at anybody, anybody was really any different. Um, okay. so, I mean, I, 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 don't, I think for the most part, everybody was pretty much themselves. You're on camera a lot and there are days where you are working and you're tired and you may not get the best version of you because you're exhausted oh. and filming late. Um, so it's, that's a, that's a tricky question, but I think for the most part, everybody is who they are with the exception of topics being pushed Right, of course. That's right. <laughs> um, I have a listener question from Meg B. She wants to know if um, Brett's brothers are as obnoxious as they appeared on the show. <laughs> you know, Brett's siblings um, are actually really nice. I hated that they got so much flack on social media. Um, yeah. They were actually very welcoming to me. Um, I think there's a sense of humor when you are born and raised in New Orleans that maybe outsiders don't understand. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought they were lovely. Um, And yeah, I just felt bad. A couple of the brothers have reached out to me since the show, just, you know, checking in on me, making sure everything's okay. Um, I've talked to his sister a couple times. So they were actually really sweet. So I hate that they got so much flack um, on social media. That's really nice. Yeah. Nice to hear well, I think this might be it. I, I really appreciate all the insight that you were able to give on the show. I think you're a light. I think you were, give it a bad rap. I honestly <laughs> do. And I enjoyed watching you on my TV. I even got into a couple little tips with my sister about um, you versus Brett. And I just want to say that I was correct. And she was not. And she will be apologizing uh, uh, at some point about it. <laughs> about Hi, sister. I'm really sweet and friendly. <laughs> um, is there, do you guys, do you want anybody to follow you guys on social media or where can people find you? Um, so I'm actually just doing Instagram right now. Um, I decided to keep my Facebook. I get people, you know, sending me friend requests, but I feel like having this platform at some point, something needs to be private in my life just for my close friends and family. So I'm going to leave my Facebook that um, private that way. Um, so I can just have some normalcy because life has been extremely weird given that I just, you know, go to work at a hospital every day and live a pretty basic life. But, um, Instagram I'm at Olivia underscore Cornu C O R N U. Um, and then, I am going to do a couple of things. Um, I'm going to 
to start doing hop on the call where people can um, reach out and have little Skype interviews with me. Um, I'm going to donate all the money to a family in need during the holiday season and maybe continue on after that. But we'll just see, try to find some good and bring positivity to our town and um, just kind of help out and give back to our community. Um, but other than that, just Instagram is where I'm at for now. Um, and then I have set up a cameo, so I'll be on cameo as well. But, um, other than that, I'm just going to, you know, keep living my pretty low key life. And I'm trying to get back to all the people who have reached out with messages on Instagram. Um, so forgive me if I haven't gotten back to you yet, but I'm working my way through it because I think it's important for everyone to know the support, um, that they have given me means a lot to me. Um, and I just don't want it to go unnoticed. Yeah. And for all the, the effort and time that you've taken being on the front lines with this COVID, we thank you so much for being there. It can't be easy. And I admire you. It's been a long year to say the least, you know, I uh, started 2020 marrying a complete stranger and then we had a pandemic and, you know, continued to work throughout the whole thing. So I'm very thankful that I have a job that I can go to every day. Um, but if I can give one message to everyone out there, please just wear your mask. That's yeah. the most important thing. Just wear your mask, wash your hands. Um, and yeah, just everyone stay safe and healthy and just try to, you know, keep your head up and stay positive during this uncertain time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. You have a great holiday season. Yes, you too. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye.